I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, uh, Elizabeth and Hilda from the University, from the Embassy of El Salvador. Thank you, Natalia, and uh, everybody here at the uh, London Review Bookshop. And I would like to start uh, just saying what I said yesterday at the Embassy of El Salvador. Today, we feel that we're making history somehow uh, because we are presenting a book, an anthology of Salvadorian writers that live not only in El Salvador, but live abroad. You know, we have a, a very significant diaspora uh, due to many reasons, uh, starting from the civil war, economical reasons, uh, natural disasters, etc. So there's a, a big number of Salvadorians living outside uh, its borders, no? Um, so this anthology, uh, so that you get to know what our work was about, and I say we because we are, I am co-editor, we are actually three uh, persons that have edited uh, the, these two books, uh, Alexandra Litton and Lucia de Sola. They couldn't be here, but um, I just want to make sure that we know that uh, it's a work, it's, this is the result of uh, three people uh, reading Salvadorian literature for the past uh, six years. Um, we started this project, uh, the first one, Poetry, the Theater Under My Skin, which is uh, dedicated to poetry, uh, around 2012, more or less. And why? We wa I want to tell you a little bit about uh, our interest to document these two Salvadorian identities, to say it in a way, no? the ones that stayed and the ones that left. Um, so uh, Lucia and Alexandra, they flew from El Salvador uh, when they were really young because of the Civil War. They went to live to the United States and almost uh, 25 years later they returned to El Salvador. And they felt Americans but they felt Salvadorian too. My case, my personal case, I, uh, I was born in El Salvador, I lived there until I was 20 years old, more or less. And then I went to Costa Rica, and then I went to Spain, where I have been living for the past uh, 18 years. Uh, that means that I'm also part of the diaspora uh, for different reasons, but I also felt Salvadorian. You know? uh, so we started talking about what it means to be Salvadorian and how this is expressed in literature. 
And why we did this, it was not only because of particular personal reasons, but because also there was a, after the peace treaties were signed in 1992, after a 12-year war, there was a, a big discussion on the media and politics about what it meant to be Salvadorian, the identity. We have to remember that after 12 years of war, our identity was somehow broken. It was somehow, um, uh, yes, it was, uh, it was hurt, you know. There were two sides that had been f fighting for 12 years. And if you think about it, the revolution actually started uh, some years before. So. It had been some time that two different sides had been confronting themselves, no? There was a polarization, if you would like to think about it from a political point of view. And each of them would say what the real Salvadorian would be. So we started thinking, what is the real Salvadorian? Is there really a concrete Salvadorianness? And then we started reading, uh, or authors, or poets, and what we, our aim was to document not only the aesthetics, the beauty of the writing, but also, uh, is there really a monolithic uh, sense of identity? Of course not, as you may, as you know, no? Identity is something plural, is something diverse, is something that you cannot uh, categorize at the end, no? Um, so that was the, the, the aim of our project, uh, through literature, explore these, these themes. Uh, and it was wonderful because uh, from first with poetry and then with prose, we also, the other aspect of our, of our work is to do it bilingual. Uh, because we believe that uh, Salvadorian literature has been on the margins for, for a long time. And usually the ones that get translated are established authors. And we wanted other people to read not, that don't know Spanish, that don't speak Spanish, so that, so that they have also the opportunity to to get to read uh, our literature, uh, who we are, try to, to help them in a way to get a, a far away from that stereotype of what it means to be Salvadorian, which essentially is being violent. No, if you see the media, you hear about the gangs before you, you hear about the, 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 the civil war. And uh, well, that's how we started our project. And uh, to translate their work, it gave us also opportunity to reflect on the writing itself. Because when you embark yourself in the translation process, uh, that is another story too, no? Because you have to translate to another language a certain, um, a certain point of view from the, from the author and respect the, the, the style. Uh, the other aspect that we wanted to document uh, in both books uh, was um, to um, include authors that were established, but also those that were emerging, because we thought it was important to include both of them, what the new voices, the young voices were saying, and also the established writers who, who already had you know, a, tri um, a path in the literary world. For example, in here, in this anthology, we have Horacio Castellanos Moya, who is a well-known author. He's gonna be talking here on the 29th. One of, of our references for many of us, you know, uh, who has actually questioned the nationalistic identity of being Salvadorian, and he has, he has paid a price for this in the, in the political point of view, from a political point of view. If you want, we can talk about this later. Um, and we also include authors that were born uh, in the 90s. Alejandro Cordova, Andreas Portillo, they are only 21, 22 years old, who have talent 
and they are also giving us another gaze of our themes, no? Because the other interesting thing that we discovered doing this work was that Salvadorians not always talk about Salvadorianness, no? We talk about the human condition as any other writer. If you read this book, for example, you will discover that here you, there is eroticism, there is a, there's the themes that we always in, encounter in, in, in Salvadorian literature, which is war and discrimination, but you will also find, as I said before, desire, eroticism, alignment, um, woman. No, we also have seven. We try to keep a balance between a woman and, and men. Um, so it has been a challenge for us, but I think the results, uh, we are really satisfied, satisfied with the results. And it is an honor to be here with Claudia, which I think is the, the, the one who should be talking more about this, because she represents our diaspora. No? She, she left El Salvador when she was 14 years old, and she had to start all over again. She will tell you all about this. She started studying urban planning. She did some activism. And then 10 years ago, she left everything to become a writer. No? So she's one of our emerging writers included in our anthology. So, well, Claudia, um, I would like you to, uh, to talk a little bit about this. How, how did you realize that you wanted to leave that behind and become a writer? Mm -hmm if this had something to do about your memories of, of El Salvador, if this was an important uh, point mm -hmm. uh, of, you know, of uh, no return, go, going mm -hmm. back to that, to that other life that you had, in a way. Yeah, yeah I'd like to say, uh, to echo your words at the beginning and say thank you to all of you for joining us today and for the bookstore and the embassy as well for um, a fantastic, we had a pre-event at the embassy yesterday and just being here in this room is, uh, it's so amazing on many levels, I think, mm -hmm. uh, personally as a, as, a, as a writer to stand in front of a room of people who want to learn about what we have to say is a, an unbelievable feeling and just also to be able to share our stories as, as Salvadorans because one of the things, I live in the United States, I left El Salvador when I was 14 and I've spent almost 35 years, I live in Seattle. Often I say, we Salvadorans hear our stories from the perspective of other people, other people who've gone to El Salvador, other people who covered the war, other people who covered the post-war, a lot of journalistic work, a lot of academic work, but there's very little work in our own voices, with our own stories, with our poems, with our concerns. And if you are from El Salvador, as, as I am, right? I, I grew up there until I was 14, so I, I was a child when I left. And yet, I became a woman, I became a professional, I've become a writer in the US, but I have never stopped being that person who I became at the beginning. That is the core of who I am and I carry with me. And so when we have a book like this that has not existed, this is, a, this is an incredible feat to have a book that is focused on telling our stories our way. And I think that is the tremendous event today to, with both of these books. I mean, one is prose, the other one is poetry, but they are fantastic in that way, in the way in which we've been so marginalized, we've been completely outside of the map, and here's a book that's beginning to collect the stories, because I see this as a beginning, <laughs> right? I hope that there's many more. But I 
came to writing um, late, I would say. I mean, I think I've always been a writer. I um, was always, I started writing poems when I was in college in, in the US. I studied in France uh, for a while. I was a student abroad and I started writing then, but I couldn't quite take myself seriously as a writer, partly because there were very few examples of people like myself, you know, an immigrant living in the US, um, who at the time my command of English now is far superior than it was when I was 15 or 16 or 17 years old. But just kind of finding your way without a guide. And again, I think of this book as a, as a guide. So the impetus was always there, but something always got in the way. So at one point I finished college and went to graduate school and decided I really wanted to go and study literature, but instead I did something else and became, I studied urban planning because it was my way of trying to understand a map. I think I've always been chasing a map, the map of where I come from and the map of who I am. In urban planning, I, uh, the idea of maps and cities and the way they're structured has always been uh, is there for me. So I think that that was, that, was, that was part of the chasing something that wasn't there through writing came later. My, my way of getting into urban planning was a way of doing work with the immigrant community in El Salvador because we have a huge diaspora in the U.S. So it was my way of always being in that, um, in that realm. And although I was doing a work that was very technical, I found my way to writing every time I volunteered to do you know, the press release. I would always start newspapers um, or you know, magazines wherever I went to for work. You know? So for a while I was working for uh, representing uh, supermarket workers and I started a, a magazine to communicate with them. So there was always this impetus that took a weird turn for me until at one point when I, I have three kids, my kids were already born. At that point I decided uh, this is a juncture for me. I have been chasing this for a long time and I'm going to to go into writing partly to tell the story that I have been trying to get a handle of. And I started writing, I came to writing th uh, through poetry. So I'm, I'm a poet and a writer, mm -hmm. um, and I'm currently serving as the poet laureate of the city of Seattle, which we call Civic Poet in Seattle. And I wanted to share a poem, yes, if sure. I may, yes. uh, from my book, which is titled This City, which is referring not so much to the, it's referring both to a city and a space, but it's also referring to my internal space that I have always been chasing, which has to do with where I come from, where I was born. And I think some of my, um, it's hard to try to capture that fragmented mm -hmm. way of being, mm -hmm. because you, I am Salvadoran, but I'm also American. I'm, you know, I'm still 14 years old. I live in that body. I live in that mental space. But I'm also a mom. I'm a woman. You know, I'm married. I have children. So I, we all occupy this a range of spaces. Um, so I wanted to read this, uh, this poem because I think it captures that idea of uh, finding yourself in a space that has nothing to do with the internal space you're in. And for me, markets do that. So I grew up in El Salvador. When I grew up, there were, no, there were hardly any supermarkets. I mean, hardly. And especially where I grew up, there were none. And so we went shopping at the open market. And that was an experience. I went with my mom and the fruit stalls. And you can imagine the color. And you got to weigh things and argue with vendors and so on. 
And so I'm a huge fan of open markets. I'm a huge fan of farmers markets. And it wasn't until I wrote this poem that I realized, really, I do love organic food. I, I, I want to feed my kids healthy food, but I'm also going because there's a memory in walking through an open market that I'm chasing. And so this poem is about that, and it's titled Farmer's Market. I go early to hear the citrus tales of pamelas and satsumas in January, discuss the snap with favas in May, have a word with a merchant without saying anything, hold the coin in one hand and with the other chat with an unsuspecting tomato. Market speak is the language of being girl walking with my mother down narrow lanes in the mercado, sweat streaming brow, dogs impatient weaving between legs, stealthy robbers articulating sneak, sellers shouting incantations to buy this cure-all remedy and for a bargain, una mano, all the fruit that can fit in the palm of your hand. At every turn, my local farmer's market betrays the one I long for, the mercado I search lives dormant, a tiny seed rhyming festive and mom inside my heart. Thank you, Claudia. Beautiful yeah. poem. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was going to ask you now that you were reading in English and then suddenly you have a word, uh, a, a phrase oh. in Spanish. Yeah. Uh, I would like you to, uh, uh, to explain your relationship with Spanish if you actually read, uh, write in Spanish or you, read, you write only in English because that's the other thing. We have included writers that uh, write in English uh, and we, we translated them into Spanish. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, it, from the diaspora, no? most of the writers that have lived to the United States especially, uh, but some of them also to Sweden, uh, that they start writing in the language the adopt of the adopted country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you do you have um, do you have you ever written in Spanish or do you write only in English? No, I write in Spanish. Although I have to say, I, I most of what most of my poems and my and my prose is in English. I um, spent a lot of time in school. I'm a, I'm a fan of of university so I have several graduate degrees mm -hmm. and so my um, vocabulary the depth of command and vocabulary at my disposal is deeper in English in a way I mean I'm also fluent in Spanish and I read a great deal and I'm but the main thing I think the first thing is to say that I do command a larger vocabulary in English um, the second thing that I've come to understand as folks have asked me this question is that that I think that each word weighs, is worth something, right? Each word that we speak carries, is attached to meaning, is attached to memories, is attached to other selves, other experiences. And writing in Spanish, because I'm writing about the war, I'm writing about being 14, 13, 12, 10, nine, because all of those years that I spent in El Salvador were spent in the shadow of a war that exploded. Really, we left the 17th of January 1981. The war was declared the 22nd of January of 1981. So by the time my family was lucky enough to leave, to escape, really, we were in a full, in a full war. And um, so I think when I attempt to tell this story in Spanish, the weight of those memories is 
you know, there's a lot attached there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that English also gives me a little distance, and it's a little kind of safety net. And the more I write, the more at ease I am with using Spanish, and the more, uh, for instance, in that poem, to say mercado is one thing, to say farmer's market, that's a completely different thing. Yes. Completely different thing. Completely. It's a very different image, yes. different smells, different, it conjures something that I could never say by saying farmer's market or outdoors market or, um, so I'm, I'm using more Spanish okay. in, the, in the writing that I do mm -hmm. uh, through conversation also because vernacular and tonalities are better, you know, mm -hmm. uh, are nuanced better through in, the, in the original language. But, um, mm -hmm. but, I'm a, but I'm an English writer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, now that, that you mentioned memory, you know how memory works, at least for you. Uh, how I would like to talk about this, about yeah. the memory, your own memory, but also the, the historical memory of El Salvador, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you find uh, any connections? Um, have you been to El Salvador? I, I know that you are writing your, your memoirs. Mm -hmm. I would like you to talk a bit about this, about memory as a personal uh, space, yeah. but also memory, the historical memory of El Salvador, and how this intertwines with, with your own, and, and to reflect on this, and how important memory is to, to document uh, a life, but yeah. also uh, a country. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think to remember, especially traumatic events, takes a great deal of courage. Mm -hmm. um, to go back and hold something and hold it as a, in the space of writing a poem about it or telling the story that's in, in this book, um, it's very hard. It, it, takes, it takes courage, like I said, and I think in El Salvador, the exploration of ourselves as people in the space of the war is minimum. It's really so few. That's why this is so important. This work is so important. Um, A, because we don't have our own voices on the page, but also because we cannot be ourselves. We cannot find ourselves now. We can't put together ourselves back if we don't recover the memories that we have lost and that people don't share. And for a long time, I thought that my own, so my family, my parents were both teachers in El Salvador. They were, my dad in particular, more involved with the left. When we came to the U.S., my father continued to be very engaged with news and reading and just kept up with literature. And my mom shut down completely. And I shut down, therefore. And my sister, I only have one sister, shut down. And we went into these little internal worlds where we couldn't really make sense of ourselves in the new place without having the memory and the conversation of where we came from. But that's exactly what happened. And it's exactly the experience of many people. And as I've started to, uh, you know, I'm invited to go speak or to go read, or I find myself in a, often young people, uh, college age kids will come and say, I didn't know this about El Salvador. And I realized, oh my God, this was not just my story, this is a story of many people, this silencing around the war, around the experience of immigration, because it's so painful, partly, you know, and because it's a rupture, right? You never recover yourself when you leave. Mm -hmm. So understanding and holding that rupture of exile or immigration or emigration, uh, it is a very difficult thing. And so I think it's a natural instinct to want to not talk about it, 
but the silence only makes things worse. Yeah, so I, I mean, I could read a poem that sort of yes. talks about that. I wanted to sort of share my work, partly because the poems only get at, at that experience, and then the piece that's in the book gets at another part. It's never fully, for me, has mm -hmm. ne for me, my journey of writing has been okay. trying to capture this, and sometimes it's better through poems, and sometimes okay. it's better. So ahead, it's, um, let's see, this is called, this is called Assiduously. And uh, mind you, I live again in Seattle, which is a city that loves coffee shops, and this is partly about that. So, assiduously, from a coffee cup's sweet bitterness into cold wind swept, knowing that the place you search and yearn for is nowhere. No street names, no city gate, no degrees nor longitudinal measures to speak of. A compass can be useless when you are lost. Nowhere multiplies in your chest ravenous like yeast. It hurts the exact second your shadow on the pavement. Sometimes your life is a minute ahead and a few days behind the place you want to be. Sometimes things align and you want to tear a piece of the shadow as you would a piece from a loaf of bread. But the place you search has no replicable terrain, no map. It moves as you move, a shapeshifter with a tropic of memory, a tropic of fear, a meridian to decide you can, and an equator to know you choose. Wow. Yes, uh, this poem actually um, reminds me something that I wanted to comment before, and um, it's the fact that many of our, the writers the poets and also the prose writers, uh, some of them refer to El Salvador as a, as a type of um, footprint, let's say. Some of them not even mentioning the country itself, the name of the country, you know? uh, which for us was really interesting because during the 1980s, uh, as you know, during the war, uh, the, the, um, the literature that was mostly written was testimonial. It was uh, it would address El Salvador and its war and its uh, injustices uh, up front, let's say, no, uh, because there was a sense of urgency at that moment, no. There was a war going on, and there was like a, yes, a sense of emergency that you have to you had to tell the story, no. During that time, lots of the, the war, those works were translated into English and into Swedish or uh, German, etc. But in the last few years, we have been less in the literary map, as using the Claudia's approach to, to these spaces. No, um, so uh, one of the things that was very interesting for us is that uh, the new writers, for example, for example, Alejandro Cordova uh, or Andreas Portillo, they were born in the 1990s. They talk about the, the violence that's going on right now, but from very um, not realistic literature. It, it, it's almost uh, surrealist, no? Uh, but you can, you can, I, you, me being Salvadorian, I can see it. But for me, what, that is probably one interesting part of the of the of the of this work, um, these works, because uh, they document that experience. But anybody who has sensibility towards literature can relate to that. No, because every country has a history of violence. No, every country has been through uh, some way uh, um, 
uh, has suffered discrimination. Social groups in different uh, countries have also uh, gone through terrible experiences. No? So it, for us, it was really, really, really important to see that change or that displacement about uh, um, uh, how to draw our country again. No? Mm -hmm. It's still there, it's still there. We come from that, uh, the seed was planted and, and we are uh, seeing all of these different, uh, this plural perspective um, about uh, human condition, as I said before. I know it sounds a little uh, broad, uh, but what I mean is uh, something that people that have, that have not read about El Salvador would understand it too, no? which is really interesting to see that in the new generations of writers. No? Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention now that you, you, were, you were talking about memory and, and all of this is that uh, not only the diaspora is going through this uh, memory uh, challenge, no? also the people living in El Salvador are facing this. Uh, we're still trying to reconstruct our country. You can see it in, our, in the young people, you see it in our young writers. Uh, some of them have told me, you know, nobody would talk to us about the war. No teacher would talk about or explain to us why there was a war. Yes, we also have an amnesia to work on uh, inside El Salvador. It's not only something from the diaspora, it's something that we still have to but from a, from a more filter well, not, not nationalistic, let's say, or uh, from a dogmatic, polarized, confronting. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, politics, but trying to think we all live here and we all have to live here, no? And we have to approach uh, the, this reality. I think we have uh, a few more minutes because I would like uh, Claudia to read a, a bit uh, from our anthology so that we also have time to, to, to ask questions or, or to comment. So I'll just, so I'll read the piece that's in the book in the original, which I wrote in, in English. There's a translation as well that we talked about yesterday. I, I want to say that this is part of this larger book that I'm working on, which is a, a retrieval. It's a moment uh, that I think happens to us who have left where we experience something that triggers an understanding. And for me, the departure for this piece is a shooting that happened in front of my house in Oakland, California when I was expecting my 
second daughter, and I was far removed. I thought I had, I was in my own world as a new mom, far, far away from El Salvador. And then there's this shooting that happens, and I almost die in the shooting. But in the instance, I was the only person on the street. That instant brought me back to experiencing gun violence and the war in El Salvador. And it, and it just collapsed on top of my, that memory, my experience of El Salvador collapsed on my life at the time. And it broke everything. It broke everything and the moment also forced me to, to recognize that, to recognize that I had lived through a war and to name that and to say I was a child when that happened allowed for a reconstruction, an understanding of that, you know, within myself. And so I think that this, this part of this reconstruction of ourselves is so integral, not just to ourselves as people living abroad and in El Salvador, but I think there is a lot of lessons in what happened to the people of El Salvador and what's happening now in, East, in, in Syria, for instance. Exactly. Um, and in other places in the world, because we are now looking at it 30 years. We have, it has taken me 30 years to tell this story, to have the courage to write it, and with that rear view perspective. Um, and I think there's something there. There's something for, for us as people, as people <laughs> inhabiting this world, that there's a lesson, there's something to be learned from the tragic uh, or tragic history. Mm -hmm. So with that, I'll, I'll read at the beginning of this piece, which is titled Ex Libris. Nuestro idioma by Dr. Neftali Duque Méndez. Historia del Salvador, tomo 1 y 2 by Francisco Monterrey. El materialismo histórico by F. V. Constantinov. Twenty-something books packed into a cardboard box and four small suitcases were the sole possessions we carried the January morning we left El Salvador. I lived with this book since 1981. I have lugged them from West Palm Beach to Los Angeles to Bochum, Germany, back to California, and finally to Seattle, Washington. All these years, I've waited for the right time to read them, waited for the moment when I'd need them, at low points and during my many moves, I've wanted nothing more than to get rid of them. Why hold on to yellowing volumes filled with academic Spanish, mathematical formulas, treaties on historical materialism? Why was I the one responsible for their care and safety? Why not pretend they got lost? Answers never materialize. Something unformed caught at the back of my throat, steals any and all effort at responding. One summer, while on break from my teaching job, I unfolded the attic's aluminum ladder and climbed into its sweltering heat. Years before, in a fit of bravery, I'd ripped the cover off a math book. I meant to keep it as a memento and throw away the rest, only to have regret settle firmly in the space where the pages had been. I steeled myself this time. My idea was to pile them in a box and let the city's recycling truck do the rest. The books from my papa's library in El Salvador had three fates. The first group escaped with their spines intact inside the cardboard box we took with us. The second set was scattered in the homes of friends and relatives, but the third group suffered the worst fate. The military government considered some books dangerous, akin to hoarding a cache of explosives. 
admittance to a clandestine jail, disappearance of de or death was the price to be paid for getting caught with his tomes. Papa owned his share of his flag books written by Karl Marx, Antonio Gramsci, and the Salvadoran poet Roque Dalton. In a country not known for its bookstores, Papa had built a sizable library with great effort and care. Then came a single knock at our door on a quiet afternoon in 1980. I opened the door, and Reina, our living housekeeper and nanny, positioned herself behind me. On the front step, two men dressed in outfits similar to my father's workday attire offered polite afternoon greetings. Buenas tardes, they said in unison. The shorter man asked, Dispense, aquí vive la señora Irma de Castro? That was indeed my mother's name. Si, sí, aquí vive, I blurted out and went on talking without looking at Reina. But she's not here right now. She's at work. Well, not at work. She, she is at the sewing school. The men looked at each other. But she does teach at Amalia Viuda de Menendez, no? The taller one inquired. I could feel Reina's bristling exasperation behind me. Si, allí trabaja, de ocho de la mañana a una de la tarde, I said with a degree of pride. Upon hearing the hours she worked at the school, the men thanked us and took their leave. I waved them goodbye. The door had barely clicked into the frame when Reina launched into me. Do you know what you just did, she asked before I could edge in a single word and answered, you just told them, told them everything. She hissed, her voice injected with anger. I'm telling your father as soon as he works through the door. She threw me a defiant glance, pivoted on a sandaled foot, and strode into the kitchen. Tell my father? What had I done? I was just being polite. And whatever did she mean by them? I was about to follow her into the kitchen to ask when my stomach churned and panic seized me. Them meant los escuadrones de la muerte, death squads traded in killing. Their job was to exterminate anyone suspected of government opposition. For a while, teachers were targeted by the squads. The principal of my elementary school, a very good friend of my papa, was murdered in his favorite rocking chair as he read the afternoon newspaper. It took them seconds. Engine left idling, jump out of pickup, step via open door into the, into the living room, aim, shoot, to obliterate a brilliant mind. Both my parents were teachers. Papa was also a graduate student at the National University and a leader in the, in the National Teachers Union. He had three points against him. Mommy had one. One, two, three, or none, it didn't matter. I connected the dots from the picture Reina had seen the moment I had opened the door. The two strangers were collecting intelligence. I not only corroborated where mommy lived and worked, but laid out her daily routine. Hi, uh, I've not had the pleasure or the privilege of reading the 
anthology or, or any of your work, but um, one point you made early on, uh, you're embracing two languages, uh, and I think you've solved that actually rather well with a single word in with Mercado, because it, it's a market, of course, but it's quite evocative in English or Spanish. Exactly. And I noticed in your, the, the prose piece you've just read, you use several Spanish phrases, so we, I think we could work out um, what <laughs> Death Squad was and so on. So maybe in a sense that is the answer that uh, a Salvadorian writer or maybe Latin American writer who comes from two cultures can embrace, can use the words from both. Why, why not? Yeah. It, uh, it enriches. You don't have to deprive yourself or to be linguistically correct by excluding, you know, yeah. Spanish expressions or, you know, writing only in uh, in American or indeed in British English. Yes, yes, and that is definitely the first uh, anthology of Central American writers. Just was published in the United States um, about two or three in February. And one of the trends and changes that has happened for those of us who are writing in a diaspora, who speak, you know, who manage and who are fluent in two languages, is the use of both in our writing. Most of those of us in that anthology are English dominant, but in order to feel whole on the page as writers, the Spanish needs to also be part of that. So that is a very conscious effort on my part to, to sort of see myself as whole as I can be by including the Spanish words, yeah. Thank you very much. I, I was so delighted to see a book about El Salvador <laughs> that I practically jumped when I saw the, the ad in DLRB. So thank you very much and thank you for your reading. And I was just wondering, I can totally understand that it's so hard to talk about such a terrible, bloody civil war. But there were also a lot of really inspiring things that happened during the Civil War because there was such an amazing solidarity, uh, solidarity and yes. incredible popular movement, health, popular education, women's groups. The Salvadorian guerrillas had the biggest mm -hmm. concentration of women in the Comandancia. There were lots of things that inspired many of us yes. <laughs> all over the world. Do people talk about that uh, part? Well, uh, in the mainstream establishment spaces, not really. But there are very um, uh, courageous people that want to keep the memory of this. And I would like to mention the uh, Museo de la Palabra y la Imagen, which would be a museum of the word and the image. Uh, this is an incredible work that they're doing, especially, for example, because I was really small when, I, when the war was going on. No? There were several things that I never really knew about it because I was a little girl. No? We were trying to survive in that. But some things that I have learned through them, for example, for me, it was very important to see um, that women were empowered because when during the civil war because it gave them the opportunity to think and to act and to take a decision to make to make a decision to to actually say okay i'm not happy with this i'm gonna go do something about it no uh, so yes there are some efforts uh, of course you would find it uh, in several marginalized spaces you will find poetry you will find po you would you can go to poetry readings uh, art for example uh, 
dedicates a lot of this, but in the mainstream media, for example, or in the mainstream spaces, uh, it, it's not really there as it should be. Maybe they can write a, a I don't know, some, a little note somewhere, but not, for me, it should be better done. For my, for my perspective, because well, I was, we were talking before with with uh, the ambassador of El Salvador. No, uh, when I went to El Mozote for the first time, which is a place where there was a, a, a massacre in 1981, and uh, I didn't know about this until I was 26 years old. And it was because I I had met somebody that said you have to come with me. And when, when I, you have to see this, and when I went there, there was one teacher with students, and they were telling, he was, a, but this was something, he told me, this is something spectacular, this is something out of the, which would, should be talked about, these things should be talked about, not from, an, um, how would you say, manipulative way, from political perspective, but from the humanity, from a humane way. I don't know. My English sometimes betrays me, but from a humanistic point of view, from a from this is we live this. We 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 did this to each other, but let's try to with this wound, let's make it scar and then go on. But we have to remember who we are, where we came from, and I think there's a lot of work that still has to be done in schools uh, to 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 talk about it more openly uh, without being feared of that they will give you a category, no? Because it goes beyond categories from, from my point of view. But still, yes, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And um, through literature, we're trying, for example, the, the, first, the first story that opens this book is about a, an author that was, uh, was in the mountains, uh, a, a guerrilla, no? And then we have Horacio Castellano Moya, which is a, an amazing realistic writer who talks about a writer being in Mexico. No? And, but it's all about uh, to, to, to get together all of this, of, of oral history. We're still putting uh, the pieces together after 25 years. I've been amazed, and I was at I was in Seattle doing a Seattle has a a garden tour every year where you could go and tour people's gardens who've incorporated you know husbandry into their you know into their backyards. And I had my husband bought me um, a bracelet uh, that I had been that said El Salvador. You know those woven bracelets that I wore for years. It was dirty, and I just never took it off. And this woman, in, I was there with my kids because we wanted to have chickens, and she ran over me and she said, you, uh, you know, she just recognized and could relate to me because she read El Salvador on the bracelet. And she had been, El Seattle was uh, a city that uh, supported, uh, it was a sanctuary city, and there were a lot of actions that were taken. So there's a lot of solidarity that happened with the people of El Salvador that's still there, but I think that from those 30 years, all those stories need to come back. Those stories need to be retold to mm -hmm. understand ourselves and to see who we were then and who other people were toward us. Because, for instance, in the United States, now Salvadorans make the fourth largest immigrant group we make, the fourth largest uh, immigrant group from Latin America. And yet, when you see stories about El Salvador, it continues to be this very negative portrayal of 
you know, immigrants who are coming to take everything away from us, people who don't contribute in any way, when in fact the immigration that's happening now, it's still linked to the 30 years from that war that we had. It is still part of that. And so this lack of context and understanding and this continually to point fingers at us as immigrants, those stories could only be sort of patched up the more people tell their stories so that we could understand each other and recover that information. Thank you. Edward from the Anglo-Central American Society. I, I don't think I speak just for myself when I say that, you know, listening to your poems is really very inspiring. Um, uh, and I did come in slightly late. I may have missed it. I apologise if I did. But which, which of your poems do you feel uh, really epitomises the, the character of the Salvadorian um, or, the, or the Salvadorian people? Oh, that's a very hard question. <laughs> <laughs> That is really hard. I mean, I think, you know, um, I think those of us from El Salvador are Salvadorian whether we want it or not. That's who we are. That's what we, we, so we don't have to try very hard, you know. So in essence, the title of my book is This City, right? And I am an urban planner and I'm serving in this very public uh, role for the city of Seattle where I'm, I'm sort of representing the city and at the same time, every time I give a speech, every time I, I do a presentation or read poems, I'm standing there both as a person who is in love with Seattle, right, and as a Salvadorian. It just, it cannot be torn, it cannot be separated. So every single one of those poems and it has, harkens back in some way or another, you know, to that experience of being Salvadoran. I mean, I'll read you, I'll read you the closing poem here because I think that after chasing an understanding of the city, um, I realized that really the city I'm looking for, I am never going to find because the city I'm looking for is the one that's made up of my memories, of the places that I've been living in, of the people that are part of my circle. And so in the end, really, the city is the city that lives inside of me. And so I think that sort of gets at that idea. So I'll read the poem and we'll see where, where, where it lands. And it's titled Asi, which means like this. Asi. This is the city that saw the raw mass of me, the quick and slow of me, the I'm afraid and I can't of me the it's beyond me side of me. This is the place that showed me I'd fit in. I'd take space. This city let me, let me be. My hair really is that size side of me. It's shaft and electric tendril vibrating its own, humming life, the untamable side of me. See how the world dances above my eyebrows? This continent, plus that continent, together, on va ensemble, vamos juntos side of me. The city that said, me gustas así, don't come down anything, don't tame nothing. Pa que? The leaf that blows away in autumn and returns, breaking bark in spring. The leaf, the branch, the trunk, the root, the tree, all of it. I am all of it. Así, aquí. stories and through, and through finding our way and the courage to tell each other, or not necessarily to writing, just creating spaces 
uh, of finding ourselves and making ourselves whole. I really truly believe in that, that there is, uh, orality is very powerful because we cannot expect everybody to sit down and pen a poem or write a book or that's not the way life works. No. But we all could tell our stories and I think creating spaces for that in our work, uh, in that sense, I see myself more as a cultural worker trying to create spaces to become whole, to recover yourself, because the place I wanted is the place I have. It's my body. That's, that's the one city I could say, yeah, I live here. Mm -hmm. I live inside of myself. I'm very much looking forward to reading the books. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious about the post-testimonial literature I wonder if you could tell us more about post-testimonial literature, oh, in, yeah. and possibly could it, could we hear a poem by uh, one of the, these poets? Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, well, the new writers, they, they, well, the younger young writers, I would say. For example, I, I can read you this poem by Miroslava, um, Miroslava Rosales. Uh, she's she was born in 1985, uh, and she has this. Um, I love this poem because it talks about the violence we have to go through, but she has a very positive note, let's say, you know, uh, for a change. <laughs> uh, Would you I'll, say that post-testimonial literature is more positive? No, it has everything that it had before, yeah. but now uh, there is no, since there is not a sense of urgency as we had it before, for example, a writer actually crafts his work probably more than, than before. I'm not saying it, it was a different type of poet. Testimonial writer has its own merit in itself. No, I'm not trying to say which one is better than the other. But it's a different kind of writing. No, It's more oral, it's more colloquial. Uh, you will find in these new writers, for example, uh, that there is like a, a need to explore aesthetics uh, even more, not only the message, but also the form. Try to craft the, the poem, you know, from, from a, um, well, you could say more a, a traditional liter literary way, but also experimental, no? Some of them experiment, like Vladimir Amaya, he, he has very interesting poems too. In this book, we have Andreas Portillo, he, he writes an amazing story because he talks about neoliberalism in El Salvador and how the marketing uh, contrib contributes to this, you know, people to consume, no? But he uses like a type of science fiction, uh, uh, you know, perspective, no? Uh, but I will read now uh, this poem by, by Miroslava. She was translated by, by Jessica Rainey. I think it's important that we mention the translator's name too. It says, Allegro Vivace, love a single syllable of electric waterfalls and snowstorms, of planes and kites, doorway to my flaws and shipwrecks. We climb to the same heights. Love you. Taste like nispero, honey and oats, like an endless earthquake, like melon in a courtyard of clarity and tenderness, like a mouth of sea air and dolphins like a kiss beneath a gateway of daisies and polished stars. Love, I have also seen you deluded in days of alcohol and cocaine, in the voice of Robert Johnson and the electric howls of Ginsburg, in dizzy spells and short circuits, 
Something about edges entices you until you become one, a solitary, a noisy midnight without sedatives. Love. Your word is a novelist that appears on this page without warning, a wellspring where I acknowledge my wounds. You know how much of my foliage was felled in the war, but in this co country, we can become an Allegro Vivace. Okay, so um, she also has others that are more pessimistic and are more, of course, no, uh, that are more um, existential. Maybe that would be a, a different note that I would probably emphasize this because before it was more about the collective, more about the, um, the yes, from a we let's say, no, from we as a country. But now, yes, it's more existential, maybe sometimes individualist uh, point of view, you know, points of view. And as I said before, more experimental. In, for example, this poem that I read, I probably didn't read it at, as, as um, you know, the, I didn't give it the, the exact, because it doesn't have any punctuation, for example, no? Uh, and uh, they, they, experimenting on the form, but also on the way to, 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 to sculpt violence, no? uh, trying to find also the beauty of literature uh, in, in itself, the beauty of writing. No? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that I would, it's really hard to say it just in a five minutes, two minutes, but uh, I would say that existential, existentialism, uh, aesthetics as, a, as an experiment, uh, and also this, uh, the I more present than maybe the we. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean, of course, this is really general, no? That doesn't mean that during the testimonial writing there weren't any, uh, because there, I don't know if you know about this uh, poet that she died when she was like 20, she was killed during the war, and they found her poems in, the, in her backpack, no? Um, and, uh, excuse me? Um, it's that she has a she didn't have she didn't they were published under another name and at this moment my memory I'm, you're going to excuse me I can I can tell you later um, Amada Libertad okay Amada Libertad that's her name uh, which if you translate it to English would be like beloved liberty no something like that no Amada Amada and she was uh, she was killed during the war and then they found her poems. In, in, her, in her backpack. And she talks about everything. No, she talks about the war, but she also talks about her uh, being in the war, about her loving, about her body. Also, what I'm trying to say, yes, I'm, I'm trying to give you a really general uh, perspective, but of course, if you get into, the, into it, you will find different uh, grades. So, um, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, um, thank you everyone. Thank you all for your comments and questions. Um, there will hopefully be time for a little bit more, kind of informally. Yeah, yeah, a glass yeah. of wine, there's books for sale. We'll even put the air conditioning on. Um, sorry, we couldn't do that before. We just need it so people can hear properly. Um, thank you all so much, Claudia, Tanya. Thank you very, very much for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, our guests, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk 
or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.